Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. And welcome in. It is episode 33. I've lost count already, Scott. Uh, I think we're at 33. We're at the Boucher episode. Yeah, we're at the Brian Boucher episode. The Brian Boucher episode of Orange and Back Check. We are in good spirits. I mean, I, I like this is going to be a fun episode because uh despite what's happening in other states, the NHL has announced their hub cities for the return to play plan in uh for the playoffs of this uh odd year to say the least. Uh Toronto and Edmonton. I I, well, I shouldn't say they announced. I don't think that's been officially announced. It's just been heavily reported unless I have that wrong, but I think it's the NHL hasn't officially announced it, but it's Looking like it's going to be Edmonton and Toronto with Edmonton hosting the conference finals for each team or each conference and the Stanley Cup final. So how are you feeling about this, Scott? Well, I got to admit one thing. First of all, I was dead ass wrong last week when we talked about this. I thought it was going to be L.A. And then after we got off the show, the next day we saw that L.A. was going nuts with cases. And I looked at it right away. and I was like, well, too late to retract that comment yeah so i thought the two stadiums would be a big thing to be a bit that but honestly at this point i mean it kind of shows you with all due respect people can think what they want how how poorly the u.s is handling it that the nhl is sending all of the players in all of the games to two canadian cities on each coast so that that to me that says something overall people haven't seen that but I digress. I'll get off the soapbox again. Well, no, you're um, right. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I think the last thing I read in the article that we were both looking over right before the show today was that the the Canada has about 150,000 cases still remaining throughout its continent or throughout throughout its country. So, like, per and I'm not going to calculate the per capita rate of what that translates to because it might be equivalent or near equivalent to what the U.S. is, but. In total, it's about ten times more than or less than than the United States. So it it only made sense at the end of the day for the NHL to just say, "Let's just do this in Canada because that's where our highest fan base is and our most and I would say probably the most passion like per for in total passion for hockey. It's obviously in Canada. Yeah, but it's also safer too because they're not yeah. complaining about wearing masks up there. Let's be honest. I mean, <laughs> let's let's be let's be truthful about it. Wear a damn mask. So the whole point is is that. Now we have 
the good thing is, is that we have the hub cities. They're not fully announced yet, I don't believe either, but they're they're pretty much, you know, the NHL is the worst to keep in secrets. So um, that's good that we have that available now to us and understand is that each city is giving the NHL complete authority to do their testing protocols as they see fit. They're not going to be bound uh, to like the rules of the locality. I think that was one of the stumbling points with having a location in the U.S. is that each each locality was having different issues because uh, nobody's been coordinated in the United States with it. Everything's been down to municipalities, localities, states, you know, whatever. Um, the whole point is is that I think that Canada's doing pretty well with it overall, and I think the NHL feels safer. The fact that while although they had 35 NHL players test positive, you know. Um, out of the 396 that they tested, um, then you know the thing is, is that I think they could probably keep a lid on it better and keep players isolated and keep them safe because it is a shame the fact that we're seeing this thing start to pick back up again after things were going so well. Yeah, I mean that's like that's what it comes down to. As soon as they're able to get these players and this and the entire staff, the coaches, all of the all of the technicians on the ice that's going to need to be repaired and all that stuff. Like as soon as they get into this NHL bubble, everything should be pretty like smooth flowing unless something yeah. drastic happens um, where an outbreak occurs on one team or multiple of, two, of teams inside the same hub city. And then they can't control it where then you're going to have another discussion that I'm starting to lean as could be a possibility, but not as I'm not as pessimistic as I was when, I was saying that the NHL was not coming back. So unless something drastic happens, like this is full steam ahead, whether it's right or wrong. Like it's just, it's interesting how sports are at the point where they're just pushing forward. They don't care. And I can't like, it it sucks because they're, they're focused on the money. That's what it really comes down to. And that's why we saw the the news that we saw yesterday with the NHL and the CBA, because it's about money. But as long as they're out, I'm fine with it at the end of the day because I want to see sports. Sports is a sense of normality for us and for you and for me. So it's like if they're able to do it, then do it. See, I, I disagree with you. I don't think it's about the money. And call me crazy because I'm usually calling the guys money left and right. I don't think it's about the money. I think it's about the opportunity because yeah. think about it. There's still a lot of people who aren't going out and they're not going to restaurants, and they're not going to the beach, and they're not going out in public places. There's still people who are pretty much just cooped up at home, and they need that outlet. So a lot of people have been watching a lot of different TV, um, a lot of different shows. By the way, if you haven't seen the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, I highly recommend it. It's amazing. Um, But I digress. The point is, see, I'm one of those guys who's cooped up. I don't really go anywhere. Yeah, but the point you're, is, so you're working at home. I'm, no, not part. anymore. No, I'm, I'm back in the office. Oh, right. I'm that guy where like I go there and then I come home. I don't go yep. anywhere. That's yep. the point. So like, there's a lot of people who are like in this situation who have an ability where they're going to be in front of a TV. And I think it's the fact that not so much for the money, it's they know they're going to have a good audience and that people probably will change all of their plans more or less now to really be in front of that TV or to watch it somehow more over than they would in a normal summer. Yeah. And like they're, they're planning on not only that, obviously eyeballs on TV, but they're planning on, yes, their, their, their plan right now is to start on August 1st. Like that's when the qualifiers or the playing round, whatever you want to call it uh, for the NHL play, play, this playoffs is going to begin is that's their hope. 
about a week from today, uh, a little less than a week by the time this podcast is out, is when training camp starts for the full extent on July, July 13th. And then by August 1st, we're playing hockey again. So I think their goal is to, I don't think, I don't want to say that because I I don't want to sound vicious, but I think they're banking on overtaking or getting first compared to baseball. Baseball obviously has their plan in place now since our, since we last spoke or maybe that was two episodes ago, but either way they got their plan in place, but I still think there's a, in the back of Gary Bettman's mind and Bill Daly's mind, the NHL still thinks they could be the first ones out of the gate besides the MLS or like even soccer, possibly soccer supposed to start a little bit later in this week, actually, but they're going in Florida. So who knows what's going to happen with Florida and anything that involves that. So like something tells me in the back of my mind, Bill Daly and all of these guys are saying we could be first. We could have all these eyeballs on us compared to every other sport they're in a unique situation and that's again it comes down to money because that's eyeballs and tv and revenue but at the end of the day it's also being able to get a new establish a new fan base that we've talked about in in previous episodes i don't know if they're going to be out of the gate first i think they've been the most organized out of all of these to be honest with you they've been more organized than the nba they've been more organized than the um uh than than baseball because that's been a nightmare but baseball is going to get out of the gate first i mean there's been a little bit of a scare lately, but baseball's prepared for it by expanding the rosters. They're going to be first. The NBA is going to be second. Um, I just I think if there is one that's gonna that's gonna go the the fastest downhill once it starts backs up, it's probably the NBA. I I, I I can see that happening now, where the mm-hmm. NBA is just probably going to spiral out of control at some point and have to reshut down, which would be concerning because it'll probably be the other two would probably look to follow suit. Um, yeah, but, that's actually a good point. Like, I would definitely like if one league goes down. Do you think the rest are going to go down? Because I kind of tend to say they m- might chug forward. I don't think one uh, shutting down is going to mean that the others are going to shut down. I don't know, I, especially because they're in Canada. Like again, we're going back to why they're going up north instead correct. of staying on south. Correct. But the point is, is that if you have enough guys getting it. It's, I think it's going to be more of an issue because the only thing I have, I have, I'm curious about is I know that they're talking about expanding the rosters, which is, yes. which is fine. They're looking the, at 31 players. If, right. Uh, but what happens if you get multiple guys on one team who are getting it? You know what I mean? And that, and that, and that becomes the concern I have for it. And it can happen across the board. But the point is, is that I think that the NHL – might be a bit of an island, but I think the NBA is the one to watch because I think they'll follow suit with that because they do have the closest contact with anybody because they're all touching the ball, they're all touching different things. Hockey at least has some natural barriers. It, it, you know, I mean, like generally with your stick with gap control, gap control is the, the distance you keep between you and the opposing player uh, and, and to, to the puck because that way, if you get too close to a guy and you have, you you basically lose your gap control and the guy can go right around you. I just explained gap control. I don't know if anybody visualized it, but the point is, so you have gap control. So you're you're staying away from the guy close enough to, to be in line of the puck. You also have natural on your hands. You have gloves, which have you know felt on them and different materials. So you're not really touching anything specifically with your hands. Yep. So you you have those bags. Goaltenders have all that equipment, and really they don't get in touch in close to anybody except when they headbutt guys at the end of the game when they win. 
the the whole point is that the NBA would be the one to watch because of this. I don't think it's going to get out of control, but if it does for hockey, then you have a major problem because if hockey starts to blow up because of it and they have those natural barriers, it's only going to mean it's probably worse in the NBA and in the MLB, even though there's a lot of social distancing already right. in baseball. So, you know, my thought would be that I'd be concerned about it, you know, looking at places that come down if a lot of guys on the team contract it. Uh, but the – I think some of the protocols they're going to have in place, a lot of guys are feeling comfortable enough about it that, you know, they're not too concerned about it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, there's an article in, by T, in TSN's Frank Saravalli, the, the condition, it says calling it off at any time I'm quoting it here at any time before or during play in the 2014 playoff tournament team tournament, the NHL and the NHL players association have the ability to postpone delay move or cancel any games in the event conditions present, quote, risk to player health and safety. So basically it's just saying, hey, if we have a huge outbreak, we're going to postpone, we're going to cancel. That's entirely in play. And you yeah. have to have these de- – Yeah. You have to have these contingency contingency plans because if if you, they're not – if as we have talked about, the NHL seems to be the most buttoned up in this scenario because mm-hmm. they took their time with naming the cities. We predicted completely wrong. We both were pretty confident that it was going to be at Las Vegas or L.A. Just – I think that's an Americanism, like just being Americanized, you know, just be like, no, oh, no, no, there's no, no. no way. I, I disagree. <laughs> I really thought – I thought it would be more of a logistics issue. And then afterwards, like I said, I, that's why I apologize right off the bat for that. I was wrong. But the point is that I thought, okay, you have two stadiums in L.A. If you keep these guys social distance, you can you can get more out of it. You know what I mean? Now yeah. you, you don't have that. You have one stadium, which now you're going to have to have four games a day, probably well, also- three. So. I'm imagining they're going to just play at the Edmonton Oilers Stadium and the uh, the arena for where the the Toronto Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, Toronto Maple Leafs play. <laughs> but like, Air Canada. we're also talking. Uh, I believe Is it the Air Canada. Air That's Canada where Toronto, the Raptors play. I don't. I'm assuming they share an arena with the. Uh, yeah, it's the Air Canada Center, and the other one, it's uh, it's not. Is it Scotiabank Place? Hang on one second. Is right, that, that, isn't that Calgary? Uh, no, that's the that's the Pembroke. That's the Scotiabank Saddledome. Hang on but, but to my thing. point is, like, we're talking about Canada, the number one hockey country in the world. Like, is there a possibility that they're going to look at other – because there's no state or there's no crowd, couldn't they theoretically say, hey, we're going to play at the other local arena that's NHL size? They're, they're not just going to go uh, to a, a random arena that's college size because that's a completely different game or an Olympic size. That's a completely different game. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's a possibility to your point about the LA playing in two arenas was a, an intriguing thing. And it probably was. It's possible. It's called Rogers place, by the way. Um, yeah. yeah and, and that's, and that's not a bad idea, but I think would be more of the concern would be the logistics as far as the TV production aspect Yeah, is that yeah. you have to make sure it's on point. So you probably need NHL level facilities in order to keep social distancing, have all those things in play as far as, you know, the equipment that's probably already there. Um, you know, how you broadcast. I know that, you know, they'll have the truck outside for mainly a lot of stuff for the actual broadcast, but I'm sure there's a lot of things in the arena that they can use for that as well. Logistically, that might be a, sm- a challenge in a smaller arena. And then, honestly, really, if it is smaller, you probably still have to worry about some more social distance issues because if it's a smaller arena, chances are they don't have the setup to be able to handle broadcasting as a normal, normal way. So it's probably like taking up some seats or certain areas. I get your point, and it's it's probably something they talked about. I wouldn't see why not, uh, but I mean, who knows? I mean, it, it, I think Rogers Place might be something where okay, well, they have one game, they're going to zamboni the ice, and then an hour later or thirty minutes later or whenever they're going to have another game. So, 
I think we'll see how it'll work out once they get closer to putting the schedule out. Yeah, because uh, like I said, about a little less than a week from the time of the release of this pod, they're going to start training camp, and then it's going to probably start moving very quickly. Like oh, all of yeah. a sudden, we're oh, going to yeah. be in the middle end of July, and we're going to get ready to either say, hey, this is starting, this is going to be awesome, I can't wait for this. Like the, it, It's a five-game sprint, uh, best of five-game sprint in the play-in round, and then from then on, it's a regular tournament. So it's going to be exciting, for say the least, and it's going to come quickly if all things go to plan. Um, going forward, what also was a really good sign this week, particularly yesterday, not only did they agree on the next phase of, of three and four, which we've been talking about for getting the restart of the NHL, but what has plagued the NHL for years since 04, 05, and then 2012, 2013. Even before that. Even yeah. And, before that. You're and, talking 94, 95. Right. The first one with Bettman, they've always had CBA issues. And one of the things that, occurred yesterday in addition what was part of this the the agreement on phase three and four of return to play they extended their cba the the collective bargaining agreement before before between the owners and the players union and it's now there's not going to be anything for another four years or excuse me five years from today and it's 25 2025 2026 season now is when this current cba is going to expire your initial thoughts on, as soon as you saw that, what, what what went through your head? Well, first thing I was like, oh, like already? Like literally when I saw it, I was like, already? Like that's a little shocking. But then I realized for a second, like this is actually a really smart move by both the NHLPA and the NHL uh, the owners. This is 100%. a great, great, great smart move. See, the thing is, is that this says to me that they're sick and tired of bickering back and forth because, it. listen, if, if you go and you hold it out because – Anything as far as hockey with the salary cap and the way the league works out is is tied to hockey-related revenue, HRR. Get used to hearing that term because you'll hear it come up a lot. The The thing is, though, is that what, what, what was great for me to see is that, okay, they've got this squared away already. The important thing was, too, is that when I my first glance, I was like, man, like the NHLPA just really went and said okay for the 50-50 split. But then I realized that, okay – if everything is tied to hockey-related revenue, HRR, and the league didn't make as much money as it did last year and they're on their current contracts, well, guess what? What will wind up happening if they went to the table would be the the players would will probably have to – the owners would probably want to get rid of the uh, – uh, the what's it called? The guarantee. The guarantee con- thank you. The guarantee contracts. Yep. And that's the pl- that's the hill the players would die on. I mean, they they won't ever give up guaranteed contracts. No, because so, look at what happens in the in the NFL. The NFL is going to be in I think two years, 2021, 2022 is when their CBA expires, and the players are already primed and ready to die on the hill for what baseball, hockey, and basketball already have. And that's guaranteed contracts. Yes. And rightfully so. Like these, if any sport, obviously the physicality in NHL is right up there with the NFL, but still the NFL is the most diabolically violent sports on the planet and they don't have guaranteed contracts. And not to get into this, but they, they deserve uh guaranteed contracts as well so the nhl players union is smart because they know what's they they're looking at the landscape of what's going to happen as you said the hockey related revenue for this upcoming season and beyond is going to be hit very badly over the next couple seasons because of covid19 compared to just every other sport uh, sports league in in uh, in the north american continent these leagues are in a very unique and tough position and they have to evaluate everything and go forward and what the 
smart thing by the NHL is to just stare at each other in the face and go, we're both in a bad position. We know what this is going to do for us uh, revenue-wise. Let's not let's not draw any unnecessary uh, dispute into this and when we Correct. that's easily avoidable. And that's smart here when you saw the, the new six-year uh, NHL CBA. Exactly. And the point is, too, is that one key thing is the players are going to probably go fight and figure out a way to get rid of escrow. That's not going to be an option now. Escrow is going to increase. But the owners actually made it work out by the fact of, hey, like we're not going to adjust the salary cap based upon hockey-related revenue, so to speak. So the point is, is that the, fly, the pliers are going to – the pliers. Jesus. <laughs> the, the play, I'm thinking players, flyers. Happy Monday. The whole point is is that the players – will now have an opportunity while they'll pay more in escrow. They're not going to lose anything off the salary cap, it seems like, as of right now, which is which is huge because they're still going to have a 50-50 split. And there's a lot of things that the owners conceded, which is actually going to benefit the players. And from what I'm looking at this, it looks like to me that you'll see a lot more of hockey-related trades come back into the mix, which I've talked about over the past year, that player movement's got to come back again. I think they've done a couple things that will help that out. I mean, think of it this way. Some of the things that we can touch on. The controversial over 35 contract penalty is gone now. Literally, it was just discrimination. Like, you're over 35, you sign a contract, you have to pay that guy out, and it has to hit your cap regardless. It's it Now, any player who's 35 or older can sign a contract, and if they retire, anything that they don't use won't count against the cap. So that's huge. So now what will happen is that, seriously, you'll have a guy like Drew whose contract's going to run out when he's close to 35, if I'm not mistaken, we talked about be, it two weeks ago. I think a twenty in two or three seasons, his his expires. Right. So I mean, he might be on the edge of it. But even for instance, like one of the guys that thought the Flyers would go get this year, Ilya Kovalchuk, the Kings couldn't move him this year because his contract was so hard to move out because it was guaranteed. Now they can, anybody can sign him to a four year deal, and he plays one year, even though he's thirty six years old. The three years don't count against his cap against the team's cap. That's huge. That's absolutely huge for the players. Now, now it, it, it's not – It's Drew will just be under when his expires in 21-22, but I imagine the Flyers are going to resign him and he'll be over 35 at that point. So it's it, it, this is a good thing for when the Flyers decide because I would imagine they're going to resign Claude Giroux. They're very yeah, faithful and- to him and it's going to be – He's whatever the cap. I'm not going to speculate on what his cap hit or what his number is going to be at this point because that's just silly. But whatever that means is when he retires three years into the six year deal, whatever it is, it's not going to hurt the Flyers in the long term. And that's exactly what it needs to be happening. Like, no. And and here's the bigger part about it, too, is that this is actually going to work out well. I mean, the thing is, is that this is going to help that kind of situation. For instance, you can't trade picks, conditional picks, for if a team re-signs a player. So, for instance, like the Devils traded Taylor Hall to Arizona, but they the Devils received a third-round pick. If Taylor Hall resigns in with the Coyotes, they're not going to count anymore. But what's huge is the fact that before it was front-loading contracts. Before players like you know we got into the debacle about um. Uh, before about Ilya Kovalchuk's 15-year deal, how it circumvented the cab. Lebrodo Luongo's recapture. Now, the, the Canucks have him on their cap for a couple of years here, even though Luongo retired as a Panther because yep. of his cap. So you see the little penalties are going to go away. But what's bigger, in my view, is that before 
if you signed a player to a $10 million contract over like a span of five years, but you scaled it down, you couldn't go any less than 50% of the value of the contract. So you couldn't go, you couldn't go and have him at a $5 million, go any less than $5 million at any point during his contract. Now they've changed it to 35%. So for instance, with a Giroud deal, if you did do him for like another $10 million one season, at the end of his deal, you could be down to three and a half million dollars. So right. what that's going to do is that it's going to front load it a little bit, but at the same time, it's going to bring down an AAV to keep that cap hit down, and also at the same time, it's only thirty five percent instead of you know fifty percent. So that's going to help a lot of teams in the back end, which is going to give teams more flexibility to sign players and keep older guys around, which is going to help a lot more hockey related trades rather than asset value trades. So instead of saying, "Oh, we're going to trade this guy for a second and third pick." No, you're going to see a guy say, okay, we're going to trade you this guy for a pick, and I want another player as well. So you'll see a lot more hockey trades like that. Yeah, and for particularly Flyers teams that or teams like the Flyers that, as we've said, are uh, on the cusp of contendership or like a piece or two away from being true contenders at the top of the, the heap, when they are going to be trading draft picks for players, this plays well into their hands because they'll be able to out, uh, offshoot – players that may not be in the in the in in the final discussion of a team that could win them the cup Jake Voracek and to be able to upload <laughs> unload them to add uh, unload them to get pieces on the team without just saying oh we'll just take a, a a fifth round pick for Jake Voracek down the line which is completely nonsensical because it it would not help them in the now because the Flyers are going to be in the next what do you say like a five-year window six-year window really Giroux's window so I guess you would say two years whatever he's going to do post-contract so let's say four-year window right now of what you're going to do with this current squad under uh, Elaine Vigneault AV so you want players not draft picks so it plays well for the Flyers for sure actually I think I read this wrong going back I think actually it's reverse I think the difference is 35 percent that they can't go more than that not 50 percent so that doesn't help the players right there a little bit. That's going to tie teams up a little bit there. But here's mm-hmm. the big kicker. The players gave up their final paychecks in the 2019-2020 season. Yes. All of that money is going to escrow, which is the, because what's going to wind up happening with the CBA if basically they have six years to kind of repay the owners the difference from what they've lost here to get back to 50%. If after six years, a, this CBA could become seven if the players owe the owners more than $125 million. So escrow is going to go up a lot here, but I want to double check that because it says here, the difference is limited to 35%. If that's 35% of the value of the contract can't drop below that. Um, and you're talking a $10 million contract, that's six and a half million. You're going to talk about teams that aren't going to be, that's the case that you're going to see teams where you know, they're going to be paying higher AAVs overall, which means less player movement in my opinion. Yeah, actually, yeah. Th- you're yeah, you're right because it seems like that would be the case of basically it's just defer yeah it's deferring away from back ended contracts Ooh. that are just cheap for older players like the Claude Giroux. So it, when it's only a say a, a million and a half dollar uh, contract hit in the last year of his contract on a let's just say a twenty two million dollar contract, I, that I'm just making I'm not doing the math in my head on where that lands. No, that's if that right. even works. But like that 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 scenario is going to be go- going by the dodo. It's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> that, like, no. that yeah. And, so they're, they're at the same time, I get that. Like I like I I get why teams because it sounds like the players 
didn't wanted that the, the this money spaced out evenly. And I get that. Like, I, if you're a player, you want to be paid the same amount year in and year out as much as you can be or as close as you can be. This hurts players or excuse me, teams more than players. I would think. Well, that's what it it does. It hurts them both actually. Because think of it this way: say you have a guy like Claude Giroux, where. He's at 33, 34 years old. He's not the player he used to be. He's still a valuable player, but he's going to – his skills aren't going to get any better as he goes along. What's going right. to happen when you hit 35, you know, your body changes. You're going to start losing speed. You're not going to have the wheels to keep up with the game, but your your hands are still there. I mean, perfect example we can look at it in this we saw in this city was Danny Briere. Danny Briere was a great player for a long time, but he went downhill. He went downhill fast, and it wasn't because he lost any skill. It's because he lost his speed. He couldn't keep up with the game anymore, and that was the problem. The but you did that with Wayne Simmons, too. Well, I mean, Wayne was more of a power forward guy who got beat up a little bit. It's not about couldn't keep up with the game. He, he was His body was broken down because of the way he played. Danny just lost his wheels. It just, he just got yeah. older. So Danny played till he was 35, 36. The whole point is that this, is that say you have Giroux and you want to spread that cap hit out because, okay, at 33, he might still be worth about an, a $9 million player. But at 36, 37, he might be worth about – Three and a half, four million dollars is more of a role player at that point of his career. That's the issue where the, the that that front loading came in because you're playing with the player is worth now, and he's got that security where he's locked up for a long term, and you're still able to pay him a good percentage of what he's worth down the line. If you're limiting that to thirty five percent, guys who are in their thirties off their second or third contracts, and they're hitting their mid thirties, they're going to be getting more money throughout later in their career, which means it's going to be, you're not going to see those long-term deals. The terms aren't going to be there. Like the, the money might be, but it might be a short-term deal. Three years at like $8 million, cut it down to like six and a half after two years. You're, you're not going to see these long-term. So this is really bad for Taylor Hall. So yeah. like, this is really, really bad for him. He's going to be the cream of the crop of the free agents market, but this is this is gonna hurt him. You, I'm telling you, like I said a couple of weeks ago, you might see him go the Marion Hosa route, where he might just ink a one year deal with a contender, and then see where he wants to land up afterwards. Might yeah. be the best option for him at this point. Yeah, and the other the, the 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 I mean, I don't know how much this matters to you. I I've never been like I think it's nice to see. I think I uh, it's the only sport that I watched during the Olympics. But the NHL is now allowing its players to go in the 2022 and 2026 Olympics. Huge, absolutely which is huge, huge. It's such great marketing for the game. I mean, look how intense the Olympics were back in 2014 when the when U.S. played Russia and that game against Russia where the the, the Russia looked like they scored, and John the Quick realized the rule that you know once the net is off the mooring, a goal doesn't count. Like, how intense was that game? The way Radulov moved in that game, the way Kovalchuk, the way the whole teams they were playing back and forth. How USA versus Russia again? It was, it was a, like those are cool things to see. Like you know, twenty ten we saw the USA versus um, um, in Canada for the gold medal. Two thousand two we saw. Two thousand six they both weren't good. But the point is, is that a lot of those NHL teams and players get to go over there and play for their country, and it's such good marketing for the game because it's free marketing. You, we, we talked about at the beginning of the season where we were talking about they need to get back in the Olympics. This is such a great thing for the league to do, and it's all because they listen to the Orange and Back Check podcast yes. that we've opened up our big fat mouths enough where they're realizing, like, hey, you know what? We should listen to these guys because they're from Philadelphia, 
and they're a bunch of morons who know what they're talking about, though. And it's and it's all and besides that, they also just know that these players are free thinkers. The El- Alex Ovechkins of the world that plays for Russia that it, it, like he doesn't as much as I think he wants to, uh, or as much as we want to think he's uh, part of American culture. Like he, his first love is Russia. That's what he right. wants to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And when he has the opportunity, I think he even was it. Two years, or I guess it would be four years ago, that he just said, I'm not playing in the NHL. I'm going to play for my country if they don't allow me to. And he yeah. up and went. Like, he yeah. just left. And, yeah. like, he got in trouble for it. But you can't blame him for it. Like, no. he, this is a unique thing that he gets to do Correct. three times in his lifetime, maybe Correct. four. So yes. why wouldn't – why would you deny your players that? And I think that's just – it was it's smart of them to just say, yes, we will let you do this. We'll – Paul, well, they'll probably do a two-week pause, and then they'll come back to the NHL. And it'll be a no, but it'll be like nothing ever happened. And not only that, too. Like for instance, like you'll, they'll probably do the bye weeks now around that, which means you condense the schedule. And even though you, then that's that's good for the league because you're getting a lot more games, a lot more nights. Like you won't see as many nights with two or three games. You usually see one or two of those a week. Maybe sometimes even three times a week where you see like okay, like there's two games on night, there's three games a night. On sometimes there's even just one game on a night. During the Olympic yeah. seasons, they don't have time for that. They've got to condense 82 games and factor in two weeks off. So they're already pushing out like the playoffs of that because really it comes out to like really three weeks with travel. So if they if they take the, the the bye week and they do it all around there, I mean, those guys are free to use their bye week for whatever. But this is a great thing for the league. And I'm really, 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 really happy. The fact that, you know, A, they've been listening to us. Uh, B, the bigger thing is, is that they've actually done things here that's going to help promote the game. For Christ's sakes, we've been saying it for Lord knows how long—well, thirty-three episodes at least. Um, the whole point—I don't even get a chuckle for that. Are you <laughs> even I don't even know if you're even listening to me at this point because I'm just rambling here because I'm thrilled that the, that the CBA is done. No, you're um, right. I mean, it, that's exactly what they need to be doing. We've been harping on it day in and day out, week in, week out of this podcast. The NHL has a marketing problem, and it took a pandemic for them to realize that they have better marketing strategies than what they currently had. Yeah, and you know what, Bill? I, I, I think that now we've got the Olympics back. We've got the CBA done. They take out the 35-plus contract. You might see some more player movement here. Older players are definitely going to get better better deals here, um, which, is, which is good because you have longevity where it's not just young guys. You have names of people they can market again because they're grizzled veterans. Well, the perfect um, the perfect I example I, the perfect example of the thirty five and older is the Chris Pronger contract. Without imagine, a doubt, imagine the Flyers being able to just take that off the books. The cap hell that they would. Paul Holmgren might not have actually looked as bad as he did at the end of his tenure here as as the GM of the Flyers, and Hextall would not have had to offshoot his the Pronger contract to Edmonton back in what was it twenty. 13. I'll be honest with you. I don't even think Pronger was the issue. It wasn't the Pronger contract that became the problem, actually, because he went mm-hmm. on LCIR, which that money doesn't count against the cap. The issue was the Cavalier deal. That oh, was that's the true. Issue yes. Because yeah, that was a much could, worse deal. He was 35 and they couldn't move him. They could not move him until somehow Hextall pulled a miracle out of his rear end, one of the few he had. And he got Jordan Wheel out of the deal. What a great player he was. Yeah. Uh, but still, the point is, he dumped that contract. Um, the so like that. I think that became part of the issue there. But the, now that they have this, guys like Joe Pavelski, who are still effective players, 
can now sign long-term deals like Dallas and not have a count against them. Teams don't have to be risk-adverse. Bro. Oh, wait, you're a free agent at 35 and you're a marginal player. Guess what? Your career is over. You're done. You're right. done. You, you're, you're, I think the NHL, what's going to benefit them out of this deal, and especially the players, is that a lot of guys come up through the systems now and they kind of rush because players don't have – Teams don't have the ability to get bring veteran players into certain places at a reason because of all these different cap issues and complexities. Now that they've simplified it, you might see in a guy who's actually younger stay down another year or two and get better and really work his way up and be ready by the time he comes up. Instead of having to go through the growing pains at the top level, you can sign those older guys who are still good and not have to worry about anything at the end of their contract and take less risk with a proven commodity in the league rather than having to wait through the growing pains that some of these young kids go through. Yeah, I'm you not- hope that it's more contenders. You hope that you get more – I mean, obviously, the the best playoffs is the NHL playoffs, but this you could argue that being able to add extra pieces like the the seasoned veteran that you need in the in the playoff presence for your young team, whatever whoever that may be, Toronto, those kind of teams, the Flyers are a great example of that with their youth movement. Mm-hmm. So, like, these teams that can add a piece or two that won't hinder them in the long term and, aff- and help them win today, like, that is a good thing thing for the NHL. The NHL is one of the best sports, is the best sport in anyone can win the cup year in and year out, especially during a freaking pandemic, I'm sure. So we'll see what happens on August 1st. But like the ability for these teams to add more depth to their squads to be a third line or a second line or down on the fourth line roll to just roll four lines because the fourth line is not as irrelevant as it used to be just 10, 15 years ago as it is today. So if they're able to add these other pieces, there's going to be more contenders and more better quality hockey at the at, by the, the come playoff time. Correct. And the important thing is, too, is that like if you look at the three free agent crop coming up this year, like there's a lot of good names who are still actually effective players. Like Jimmy Howard is one that reaches out to me. If you don't resign Brian Elliott, you could bring Jimmy Howard in on a two or three year deal and not worry about it if he needs to retire. Same thing with Corey Crawford. He's another free agent coming up, 35 years old now. If you want to bring him in to back up Carter Hart for a couple seasons here, you you you, you have the flexibility to do that, and not worry about it. Like, you know, even Brian Elliott, he's gonna be on a 35 old contract this year, you know. It, it, like Nate Thompson is another one as a current flyer. Like there's like some of these guys here who are going to be over 34, 35 in the next coming little while who are still effective. Troy Brower, uh, Brian Boyle, who still has some game there. Mike Green, he can still he can still do some things here. Um, some of these guys here who can actually make an impact in a team. You don't have to worry about their term anymore, and that's that's huge. I I, I tell you what, NHL. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a golf clap here because you're, I'm I'll really really impressed how they've been able to do this. So, um, kudos to the league and the hardest of times of being able to get a deal done, get not worry about this for another six years, not get another black eye on 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 labor negotiations and and just not have the look of oh man they're always locking each other out. Now I don't have to worry about it till 2027. Like this is yeah. this is absolutely great. This is how you grow the game. They've learned their lessons here, especially from the last lockout. I don't think they learned it fully from 0405. They learned it more from 2013. But I, I think they're I think the NHL and the NHLPA here understand, okay, we, we can't get it all. We have some things here and we, we're just gonna hammer out the little things. So let's just hope the twenty seven doesn't come around and be like, Oh, well, all of a sudden now we want to get rid of those, you know, that right. um they, you know, these different things. It, it's gotta be it's gotta be mutual from here on out. 
Yeah, and and then it will hopefully be all washed away in a couple of weeks when we find out Pittsburgh Penguins have the number one pick in this year's draft. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Bill Guerin actually said, he's like, we're not going to lose the first round of playing around to get the number one pick. That's, so Yeah, I, I mean, you would hope that none of these teams that are now qualified trying to get into the uh, uh, first round of the playoffs are, are going to quote-unquote tank because now it really is one of the most – you're you could argue now it's an encouraging thing to tank because you allowed these other teams these fringe playoff teams that are now anointed as playoff teams to have the ability to all of a sudden have the number one pick and it's you're talking about Edmonton Pittsburgh Toronto and it's just like the, none of these teams deserve the number one pick they deserve the, the late round middle round picks at most and now all of a sudden we might have a scenario where Pittsburgh or Edmonton are picking number one again. And, and like Edmonton has had enough number one picks over the last 15 years. Like they got to stick with one of them and they have Connor McDavid. And they've had a lot of number one picks around the years. And you know what? This, this is see, I, I just applauded the NHL. I now I'm fired up at him again, because how could you screw well, this up? So I, wanted to do it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't help not I, I, we talked about I, it. We had the live reaction on the show last week or uh, yeah, last week. So I had to talk about it, but yeah. uh, like, I, I also just, I enjoy pissing you off, Scott. Yeah, you see, figure that off. I, Go from Bruce Banner to the Hulk all of a sudden. Yes. And like, you know, you got to damn just screwed up the freaking draft. You had one job. Don't freak <laughs> up the draft. And you freaked up the draft. How does Detroit still not have the number one pick? It's ridiculous. It's insane. It's so much. It's so fun. See, it's now, so now, fun. Now, if it weren't for the CBA, I'd still be, I'd still be. I don't want to say I'm bitching about it because I'm really not. It just it, it annoys me that you could screw something out up that that it's a team's future is so dependent on that, and you're giving it to a team who is actually qualifying to. And think about it this way: I mean, I guess if the stipulation is if they lose the first round, you know, if they lose the first round, then they they get into it. I mean, think about it this: we have a team that tanks and decides to lose the first round, like a Pittsburgh that has to go and lose to a team like Montreal so they can just screw up the whole thing and go and beat every team like it did in 1986 and win the frigging cup because they've won so many, it's probably going to happen. Anyway, then you have that all of a sudden, well, we're going to have the number one pick, and he's going to play next to Sidney Crosby. We're going to have another Lemieux, and we're going to have another Yager-type deal going on here. Right. You know what? If that actually happens, man, I will go up to New York myself, and I will – actually, I probably won't because that's a hot spot. But the yeah, point is I'll probably be like you know, writing them a nasty email saying, like, how could you be so ridiculously <laughs> dumb? And then I'll just probably have it, get it blocked, and then they won't listen to us anymore. And you're going to listen to it. They're going to listen to it anyway. So, you know, they're, they'll, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll hear my displeasure. Yeah. I mean, well, before, let's, <sighs> and, uh, let, and rant. let's close out with something very, very positive, very uh, flyer centric. Oscar Limblom. We haven't talked about him in a couple weeks. He's obviously been going through cancer treatments ever since being diagnosed back in God, what was it? November, December, sometime, sometime around November, December. Yeah. Yeah. I would say around that. And Hey, He's finished cancer, or excuse me, he's finished chemo treatments. He rang the bell at the hospital. He's, it it sounds like everything has gone well, as well as you can hope for a guy in his scenario. And there's a, I don't want to say it's a guarantee, but there's a real shot. We might see him late next year. Obviously, it also depends on what the hell is going on in the world at that point. But 
just the fact that he's made it through this during a pandemic, he's gone through cancer treatments, got through them, finished them, and it's just all through a pandemic that's really probably scared the living crap out of him. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Talk about some of the the worst things. I mean, listen, there was no questioning his mental toughness before. Of course not. I I mean, going through this now, I'm telling you, he's going to be the most mentally tough dude we're ever going to see on this team. I mean, go through this and through and during a pandemic, as you said, like that's that's insane. Like there has we haven't publicly seen someone who's been such at risk for everything that's going on, who has cancer and now has this. And with the pandemic going on and, and could possibly, you know, if he got exposed, oh, my God, dude, like, you know, that's just going to make you like every time if he gets a chance to get on the ice again, it's not guaranteed. Let's be honest here. It's not guaranteed. No, it's a great sign. It, it's a step in the right direction. It's not guaranteed. The only time, you know, that's going to happen again if he which he has skated. But assume, when he laces up again for an actual game. Dude, if he does, I want to be there because that's going to be uh, – hopefully they're allowing people back in the stance at that point, and that's going to be one of the coolest sites ever that we're going to see. Oh, my God. I like. I, I think we should try Dude. and organize it, figure out a way to – hopefully they have fans back in the arena, and we figure out a way. We can all go. We'll do like an orange and back check night on Oscar Lindblom's return. We'll raise money for charity, some cancer treatment, something. Just I, There's an opportunity there to help people out. Uh, that are in Oscar's situation that are not getting seen as much as Oscar was, but they're living through Oscar in that sense because he's uh, like they're living through him in that sense. So it's there's an opportunity there, and I hope we're able to do something like that. And if not, we'll find a way to do it in our own respective homes safely and calmly while watching Oscar Limbaugh return to the ice. How great would that be? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And we can start the official Orange and Back Check fan club, which would just be you and me as members. But I know we'll get a lot of people who are out there who will definitely, I'm sure, would be interested in coming and help us raise money for a charity. Absolutely. I think they would, too. And we will have a few announcements down the line. We have some stuff in the works about what growing this podcast exponentially. Like, we have nobody to thank but you, the listener. Like, you guys have helped us expand this podcast. And we're I just got off the phone this morning or this afternoon uh, with potential growth of what this podcast could do. Uh, Hopefully, more announcements on what's going to be happening with that, too. Uh, Before we wrap, I want to give a quick shout out. The guy that you hear in the beginning uh, that introduces us, the the voiceover guy, as we call him in the business, uh, that guy is named John Barchard. And he is... uh, Scott, I don't think you worked directly with him when, when you were at the radio station, did you? No, no, I did not, no. But but he's so like he really helped you and I put this podcast together, figure out the tone and the manner of what, what we wanted to do as he was generous enough to lend his voiceover uh, for for the intro. Something like that, just as simple as doing that, usually costs people a lot of money. And and John is one of the best guys. And he just said, what do you want me to say? Here you go. Uh, what, but unfortunately, uh, and all that praise of him in working in the radio business and how he's helped you and I, uh, he announced last Saturday that he's stepping away from the radio business for the time being, and he's off to bigger and better things. And I wish him nothing but the best, but we're certainly going to miss him. And it's a bittersweet moment for sure. Cause, uh, he's helped me, like I keep saying with this podcast, but in my own endeavors outside of this podcast on, on my personal, uh, career path of in working in radio. Cause it's a, it's a 
crazy business and <laughs> John's been in it for a numerous amount of years. So it's, it's, it's sad, but I'm happy to see him uh, at the same time go on to bigger and better things. And I'm, I'm sure he'll have nothing to say or I'm sure he'll announce everything that he's going to be doing uh, in the coming weeks. But I just want to say thank you to John Barchard for helping us with this part, this podcast for both of us. And then myself individually, uh, he's a great, great individual for sure. Absolutely is. John, thank you for everything, for all your help, buddy. We really appreciate it. And uh, someday we hope to have you on and, and uh, talk about where your, where uh, that your, your path has taken you. Yeah. And I'll make fun of him for being an Iowa fan when I'm a Penn State fan. Who's anyway, an Iowa fan. Yeah, he went to Iowa, I believe. Oh, it's bad enough you went to Penn State. Oh, stop it. On that note, <laughs> for Temple U uh, University. Fight, yeah, how's that fight, football fight stadium? For the cherry and the white. For the cherry and the white. Well, yeah. fight, fight, fight. Uh, excuse me. Are are the suit the, the stadium we use is the home of a Super Bowl champion? How many yeah, Super Bowls did your stadium one? And you got to pay rent, but that's okay. <laughs> Don't even own it. On that note, nope. we thank you as always for listening to Orange <laughs> and Back Check. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just search for the podcast Orange and Back Check. You know how it sounds. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. On your internet search providers, it's all good stuff. Email us, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. If you have a comment or two about what you think is going to happen with with the future of the NHL season, I mean, who the hell knows? We're all positive and giddy at this point going into the the first week of July. But next week's episode, we might be talking about how there's another downplay of what the NHL did and we're on back to phase zero that's just how the nhl works they're always keeping us on our toes that's for sure and i'll get scott to get all pissed off again i'm always pissed off <laughs> you're like the hulk you really are yeah, Bruce Banner. yeah, yeah i really am. that's the secret i'm always angry <laughs> we thank you for listening we'll talk to you guys next week wear goddamn mask fart noises and shit like that